it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight is episode 235, and we are going to do something a little new today. We're going to do a bird's eye view of a company called Walmart. Uh, You might have heard of it. It's rather large. And we thought we would just kind of talk through how we would look at a company for the first time if this was our first time looking at Walmart. And so Andrew and I will kind of take turns just kind of walking through what we would look at and kind of how we would start, I guess, the process of starting to analyze a company. And this might be informational for you. And we thought starting with Walmart, which is a big, easy company that most people are familiar with, I think, out there. And I know that I've shopped there a time or two. And so, yeah, I thought that would be kind of an easy way for us to start. So, Andrew, would you like to be the first to go or would you like me to be the guinea pig? Well, when you phrase it that way, I'd love for you to be the guinea pig. Okay. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. All right. So, I guess when you're looking at a company, I think... One of the things that a lot of people are always curious about is kind of how do you start? And so I think this would be a good chance for us to kind of talk about maybe how we would start. And honestly, it goes company by company for me. And sometimes if it's a company that I've come across in a screen or it's something that maybe I read about online or maybe Andrew mentioned to me, something that it came into my universe, I want to learn more about the company. If it was a company that I wasn't familiar with or I didn't know what the business model was or any of those kinds of things, I would immediately go to the 10K. And for me, I would start with the business description of the business. And I would just start working through that to see if I could understand the business. And if I can understand the business, then I will proceed farther into the 10K and start learning as much about the company as I possibly could. If it was a company like a Walmart or an Amazon or even Google that I have a better basis of knowledge of what it is they do. I mean, Walmart is not super complicated. They sell stuff <laughs> either in the store or online. And it's one of the largest retail. I think it's the largest retailer in the world, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm familiar with it. I shop there. I know what they sell. I, I understand their business model. My ex-wife actually used to work for the company as an HR person. So I'm somewhat intimately understanding the business model. So I don't need to spend a lot of time doing that. So 
when I would, if I look at a company like Walmart, then I would just jump to looking at something like the metrics or looking at a brief overview of the metrics. And our friend Braden Dennis has a great website that can help us a lot with that. And so that's kind of what, where I guess I would start. So Andrew, I guess before we kind of dive into the company, if you were going to start with a company, how would you start? For me, it would be something very similar. You got to think about it. There's what, 7,000, 8,000 stocks that you could buy in the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. So you're going to have to figure out really quickly how to cross companies off of your list. And so the first thing I want to do, I think the business model is really important and you want to have a basic understanding of that. For me, I first want to look to make sure the numbers are attractive enough to make me consider investing time in the company further. So Brian actually, uh, when we interviewed him recently, he said this, and I think it's a really good rule of thumb to think about if you're the type of investor that has a similar approach to him or like myself, where I like to buy things and hold them for a long time if I can find the right companies. And so the one of the first things you can do is look at the revenue, and that's going to be what they also call the top line. And where is that going? Is it trending up or is it trending down? And if it's trending down, that doesn't fit your style. What's the point in looking further? So I would look at revenue. For me personally, I also look at return on invested capital, ROIC. So that tells me we've had lots of conversations about ROIC. Mark LaMonica explained it well, as did Todd Winning. Todd Winning, thank you. His example was super, super good. But yeah, basically, does this company, it, can they grow and create profits without needing to invest a ton of cash. And so those can tend to grow better, faster, easier. So I will tend to look at those and I like to look at longer timeframes. So for this Walmart example, I have four websites pulled up. Okay. Uh, maybe if it's your first time, you got four. Maybe if it's your first time, you start with like, just try to use one. And then as you look at more and more companies, you can add more websites into the mix. So I've got Stratosphere.io for the KPIs. I've got Finviz for the valuation. I've got QuickFS for the overall financial picture. So QuickFS.net, I like them because you can just put the ticker in the search and it gives you the ROIC right there. It's the first thing you see. And you can see how it's grown, if it's grown or if it's gone down, how it's moved over 20 years. And I like that visualization a lot. And then I also like how right below that chart, there is sales, the revenue, and that top line. And I can see exactly what that growth has been from year to year. What percentage growth has that been from year to year? So that's like the tool I've been using for quite a while. I'm very comfortable using it. So that would be the first thing I would look at. And if those two things look good, then I'm like, okay, now the world is your oyster. You could go a million different ways into how you want to understand this company for me personally. That's great stuff. And I think let's talk about the revenue part of it first for just a second. If you're looking at a company, is there a finite number that you have to, like, is there a hurdle rate that the company has to get over? Like if you see the company is growing at 2% a year every year, is that okay? Or are you looking for a higher number than that? Is that something that helps you screen out the companies or, and I guess kind of the, along the same lines with ROIC, are you looking for it to expand? Are you looking for it to kind of stay you know, steady or are you looking for it to not decline? 
in essence? I mean, are those things that kind of help screen out whether you're going to continue looking at the company? When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Yeah, those are great questions. So for revenue growth, I definitely, I would say 2% is pretty low. So I don't have like a cut and dry, like this is the bottom limit to what I would want to see. But if you're new to the market and you're kind of new to how it works, 2 to 3% a year, that's like inflation. If a company is growing at that rate, they're not a great company. They're just kind of growing along with inflation. The economy itself grows around 4 to 5% range over the last 25 years. So somebody in that range, right, growing alongside the economy, that I, I kind of like that as like a sweet spot in the sense that a lot of companies tend to grow in that range. And then obviously, if you can find it at a good price, you want higher than that, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10%. And then anything higher than 10 or 11 or 12, I just kind of assume that it's going to eventually return to something like 10, 9, 8. So the, if the average, we know the average stock market returns around 10% a year over the entire stock market. So part of that, not all of that's just revenue growth, by the way. So 
to have 10% growth, what I'm trying to say is to have 10% growth is like really outstanding and definitely makes you an above average company. And it's super, super hard to maintain. And not a lot of companies can maintain it. So obviously you don't penalize somebody for being great at growing, but you kind of temper expectations in my mind that I'm kind of looking for. As long as it's above inflation, that's probably what I'm looking at. It's an interesting discussion because I think, you know, for me, one of the ways that I look at the top line growth when I'm trying to assess if, if this is going to be something that I want to consider doing more work on is whether or not kind of where the company is, A, in their sector or niche or industry, and number two, how old the company is, how long have they been in business? And if you're looking at, you know, we're kind of looking at, at Walmart here briefly, and Walmart has been in business for, what, 50-some years? It's, you know, a long time. Whereas if you're looking at a company like, I'll just pull one out of my hat, CrowdStrike, you know, they've been public for a few years. And so the expectation of revenue growth for a company like CrowdStrike, which is much smaller, completely different industry versus the one that that Walmart is in or is you know my expectation is going to be different and so i guess for me that's one of the things that i kind of use as a i'm not necessarily a hurdle rate but something that i definitely consider is thinking about where is the company in their life cycle and what kind of business is it in and what kind of niche is it in it, you know what is that industry because the growth of Wells Fargo versus Microsoft, it's not apples to apples. And so I can't expect Wells Fargo to grow as quickly as a company like Microsoft would just because it's it's of the nature of its business. And so that's something that I always try to keep in mind when I'm looking at these numbers just in general. But that's something that kind of helps me weed out. You know, if I'm looking at a company that is in a, a faster growing niche and younger company and it's only growing at two or three percent, okay. <laughs> You know, that, that for me, that might be, okay, that's a pass. I guess, how would you know, outside of like age, how would you know if a industry is more matured or if it's in its high growth stage? What would be? I think some of it is intuitive and some of it is experience. And then some of it also is you won't know. And so if you don't know, then it just becomes, that's a question I got to answer. And I've talked about this before in the past. It's easier to look for reasons why not to buy the company than to buy the company. And sometimes you're going to come across things that you just may not know the answer right away. But that just means that, okay, I got to put that on a list of things I got to figure out and I'm going to learn more about that. So if it's not something that comes to me intuitively or based on my experience and past knowledge, then it's just a question I'm going to have to do, dig a little bit deeper on to find more about. So <laughs> at the risk of like cutting this bird's eye view episode really short, I mean, frankly, does Walmart pass that hurdle rate for revenue growth for you? No, it would not. So if you take a look at the business and what it's done, if you look at the last 10 years of the financials of the company, it really is not growing that quickly. And if you look at just the the last couple of years, it's been skewed because of COVID. And Walmart was definitely a beneficiary of everything that happened with the pandemic because they're one of the few places that were open, one of the few places that sell groceries. It's, you know, I think the largest grocer in the United States. And 
So you have all those perks or benefits for the company, and they, so they were able to to capitalize on that. But I think as we've come out of the pandemic or are coming out of the pandemic, depending on where we are in the world, then you're starting to see that revenue growth that they were experiencing over the last year and a half or so is starting to slow. And then the other aspects of the business, if you look at the other parts of the business, like Sam's Club, for example, the Sam's Club has seen pretty stagnant revenue growth over the last 10 years. It did see a little bit of a bump during COVID, but now it seems to be leveling out again. And so that doesn't, those two things don't inspire a lot of confidence in me that this is an investment that, is it going to go bankrupt right away? Heck no. (laughs) I mean, Walmart's not going anywhere for quite some time. But is it the opportunity cost of putting my money in Walmart versus company B? I think I have a better opportunity in company B than I would in company in Walmart. And so for me, it's not something, is it a bad investment? I wouldn't say it's a bad investment, but it's not something that I would want in my portfolio because it doesn't fit my needs. It's not is not growing and I don't think will grow fast enough to get to the next level. In a large part because of the nature of what it does and how it does what it does. It's basically a low cost provider that sells things at very thin margins. And so the opportunity to grow margins and to continue to innovate the business, I think are more restricted than another company. And so for me, that's if I just look at the revenue part of it, that would be a pass for me. So how about you? What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, it's this, it's a similar story for me. I look again, if I look at QuickFS and I look at some of these revenue growth numbers from one year to the next, 1.6%, 0.8%, 3%, like a lot of numbers below 3%, below inflation doesn't inspire a lot of confidence for me. And so I, you know, I don't do a perfect job at it, but I do like to try to get into as many companies as I can that I know can at least keep up with the economic growth. And so if a company is not keeping up with economic growth, that signals to me either maybe they are losing market share or they're just the end markets they are in are just not keeping up with economic growth because they are maturing, essentially. I mean, one way I really like to, this isn't like in a textbook or anything. So take it for what's worth. But like, if you think about like the price trends of spices, like over the very, very long term, like they've gotten like stupid cheap now, right? It's just basically become commoditized and it's so cheap and easy for these spices to be delivered to the stores, to me, that's like a tough end market to kind of be selling out of. Just as one example, some of the other foods can kind of sometimes turn that way too. And so, you know, one of the blessings of the economy and and the way that it's really helped people is it's reduced some of our essential expenses. Innovation has saved our time. We don't have to spend time hand-washing our clothes, right? And we spend a lot less these days on essentials than we did back in like the 1950s, as an example. So that stuff's great for the economy, but it's not great if you're a business that's getting your profits innovated away and competed away and and all of that. So it's not a perfect science, but you just got to try to look for those industries that are growing and, and have a good growth rate. And I wonder if 
just their mix, like you said, kind of just being low cost and really having a lot of everything and, and just being such a big size. I mean, it's hard to grow when you're 500 billion and like, where else can you grow to? All of those things just kind of make it tough to see a turnaround in that. And so that's where the revenue growth becomes a little bit doesn't fit what I'm looking for. That makes a lot of sense. I think if you look at some of the things that the company has been trying to do and is trying to do, kind of see where they can expand. And I'm going to kind of get to my point here in just a second. But if you look at their international growth, it has not done well. And if you look at some of the investments that they've been making, they're in not core competencies for the company. And a perfect example of that is they're really trying to expand their financial services that they offer for customers as well as you know outside of people shopping at the store. And that's not in their my concern about that this could be I could be completely wrong. But my concern about that, that is not in their core operating procedure. That's not an area that they've excelled in over the you know the last 50 years and so this is something new and you know the investments don't rise to the same level of like meta's investment in the metaverse and everything they got going on it's not that extreme but if that's one of the things that they're banking on to take them to the next level i don't know if that's really going to get them to the next level and the other part of that too is by and large a lot of that's not hugely profitable as far as like operating revenue and margins by and large you know banks are not known for their you know generous operating margins just because of the nature of how they operate and so those are some things that kind of look at like and then the other thing that you mentioned is expansion so i think the the opportunity for them to open more stores and that continue to be a opportunity for them to grow into the future i think is far more limited than costco so they're not apples to apple comparison, but they kind of are a little bit. And so if you look at Costco, Costco is still growing and their footprint is still allowing them to continue to grow. And they've been starting to expand overseas and the few stores that they put overseas in Canada and China that come to mind immediately have done extremely well. And so it just seems like their business model is translating better to outside of the United States than Walmart's is. And so that gives me more confidence that a company like Costco could do better five or 10 years from now than necessarily Walmart would. And so I think sometimes when I'm looking at a company like a Walmart, I'm also trying to think about competitors too. And how will this company stack up against you know, Costco, Kroger, and anybody else that, that I can think of? I don't know as much about Kroger, but you have to kind of think about those things. And I guess that's, you know, where Walmart falls short for me is that I don't think that they have the same, you know, runway for revenue that, that Costco will. It's a great point. And I mean, even when you look, I think it's super critical to look at into the industry if you can, if, if you spend time on a company. And the thing with Walmart is I think a lot of us can observe they kind of compete with Costco, but they also sell a lot of things that Costco doesn't sell. And similar with they kind of compete with Target, but they also sell some things that Target doesn't sell. And so the way that Target and Costco drive their profits is actually much different than the way Walmart does, even though they're quote unquote in the same industry. And so that's not something necessarily you would know right off the bat, but that's something as you gain experience, you learn. 
but it doesn't, you know, one last thing about this process and then maybe I'll shut up. But, you know, as you go through these companies and you kind of say, you know what, I really don't like this part of a company. I'm going to pass. That doesn't mean you have to pass on the company forever. It just means, hey, I'm going to invest my time on something more exciting and interesting at the moment. But let's say something changed with Walmart and all of a sudden like the revenues look great and it looks sustainable. Well, now you've you got to take the step to compare it to Target and Costco and even Amazon. And if the revenue is kind of matured at Walmart, but you're not seeing similar maturation at Target, Costco, and Amazon, you have to ask yourself, why? So it's possible that maybe the industry is not matured, but Walmart has hit maturation. And that's something to consider too. It's totally right on the mark. And I think the idea that when you're studying a company or you're looking to start analyzing a company at any level, just because you pass on a company doesn't mean that you haven't learned something valuable about that company because you can take that information and use it for another company. Let's say you are looking at Walmart and you decide to pass and you're trying to look at other grocers. Well, any information that you've learned about Walmart, you can transfer to Kroger and you can transfer to, you know, Amazon if you want or even, you know, Target or Costco. Any of those companies, you can look at any of them and if anything, you know, makes you not want to buy that for whatever reason, that knowledge compounds upon itself. And so, you know, I've read through, I don't know, half a dozen of Costco's 10Ks, and I've read through, you know, dozens of their earnings calls, and I've looked at their financials many times, and I've valued the company because I want to buy it. (laughs) But, you know, it it has been too expensive. But uh, my point is, is that the, just because, and I haven't bought it because of that, but I've also learned a lot about Costco. And then when I look at Walmart, I'm mentally comparing that and going, okay, if I had to buy one or the two, which would I rather buy? I'd much rather buy Costco than I would Walmart. And these are the reasons why. It kind of applies to everything. If I look at Wells Fargo versus Bank of America, I'm going to use the same rationale. I'm going to look at this and look at this. And if I've read about a bunch of different companies that are in the same sector, then it just gives you information that you can use for other things. And so I think sometimes people may get a little frustrated because I'm not finding something that really fits my criteria. And part of it is a process. And the other part of it is too, is you don't have to say yes to everything. And we don't have to swing at the first pitch. You can find things. Sometimes you get lucky. You can find something right out of the gate that's like, oh, this is awesome. Perfect. You know, oh, this is great. But, you know, there are other times that it's just like you got to shuffle through a lot of stuff to get the, you know, to get to the company. So this is would be an interesting question. When you work on making your pick for the month, you may not have this number, but just guesstimate, how many companies would you possibly look at over the course of a, a month before you finally decide on the one you pick? Is it five? Is it 10? Is it 50? I mean, there's probably a lot of shuffling, I'm guessing. Yeah, there's there's a ton of shuffling. And that's the thing about it is, is like, no matter how much of a workaholic you are, you only have 24 hours in a day and however many hours in a month. And there's so many stocks. So I'm trying to constantly, I will sort through the thousands of stocks and you try to find the ones that have the numbers that you want. And so that's what a screen is for. We've had previous episodes in the archives about using the stock screener. So you really narrow down the list as much as you can. And then from there, I'm like running valuations on a lot of companies too, because it's like, 
you don't want to go through all the work only to find out it was too expensive. And so you just kind of wasted that time too. So I do a lot of that and it's really hard to say. It really is like breathing a lot of 10Ks. Let's just say that and sifting through a lot of the 10Ks and trying to get brain download dumps and figure out what's the big picture of this. And the list just keeps growing. It's like this library of stock tickers that is like compounding like a snowball. And that that's kind of what's worked for me. Really similar to what you're saying. It's like sometimes opportunity is, is there and it's like hard to see any reason not to buy it, but that's pretty rare. Like I have to turn over a lot of rocks and you do have to be diligent in my opinion that you can't let your standards down just because you're getting desperate to find something that you want to buy or, or you feel like I've just gone through 10 companies and none of these are attractive. You just got to keep flipping rocks until you find something that you know, because the big thing with the research, in my opinion, is like you do the research up front. That way, when you get challenged later on and the stock comes down later on, you've already done the work and you're already mentally prepared to hang on if the stock goes down. And I think that's really important. And it's so much easier to panic and panic sell if you haven't done the work on why you own this company. That's great insight. All right, folks. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our bird's eye look at Walmart and a kind of introduction to how we start to look at companies. So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.